Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers and you have just connected with Parkinson's Recovery. If you haven't heard the word yet, the second edition of Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease is hot off of the press. You can get more information by visiting www.parkinsonsdisease.me. I have a very distinguished guest today on my radio show. John Bowman has achieved true and genuine educational, professional, and personal respect. He has a law degree from Cornell University. He has passed three bar exams. Most people really just worry about passing one, but he's passed three bar exams and he's practiced 25 years as an attorney. John has appeared on CNN Headline News as a legal commentary. He's on the faculty of the University of Louisville and has been selected as the most inspiring professor, which indeed is quite an honor. John, thank you so much for being with us today. Robert, thank you so much for including me in your show. I've listened to many um, episodes, and I've really enjoyed the, the insights that you bring. I think it's a novel show, and I, I, I believe everyone in the Parkinson's community and in any community with life-changing conditions should take the time to listen to a sh- show, whether it's live or in a replay. John, you've been a guest uh, previously on the show, and so people would have had a chance to become acquainted with you. But many listeners do not yet know who you are. Maybe we should start by getting you to tell folks a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up on Long Island. Um, I I spent my first 17 years there, and then I went to um, University of Massachusetts, enjoyed getting a BBA there, Uh, lived in Boston for a year between undergrad and law school, went to Cornell, and then after Cornell, I ended up in Houston, Texas, working for Exxon. I did that for basically 10 years in uh, in Houston, Corpus Christi, New Orleans, and northern New Jersey. And then I moved on to Louisville, Kentucky, where my, where my wife is from, and took up the job as the sole attorney and eventually the general counsel of a steel company, a steel processor named Steel Technologies, Inc., um, Throughout that time, I spent a lot of time discussing and researching success and seeing what aspects come into play. When I was 41, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. That was nine years ago. Um, in October of oh, 2008, I decided to leave my position at Steel Technologies and do something a little bit different, uh, spend more time on my legacy, on purposeful issues on teaching at school, inspirational presentations, and representing the disadvantaged in the, in the practice of law. So I made a dr- pretty dramatic dr- dramatic change um, in 08, and I've never regretted it and never looked back and enjoyed life to the fullest. The last time you were on the show, you were all over the map in giving inspirational talks, and you have a book soon to be released, and the title of that book is Decide Success. You Ain't Dead Yet. Could you explain the title? Sure. I had a lot of fun with this title. It went all, it went from decide to be successful to decide to succeed, but I think being succinct and being concise is the best thing to be. 
And decide success is just that. You need to make a decision to succeed. Um, I'll give you an example. I chose not to succeed at golf. That's a decision I made. I did not want to succeed at golf. I didn't show natural ability at it, but I enjoyed being outdoors with my friends, um, enjoying the camaraderie, being out in nature, um, that sort of thing. I never decided to be successful at, at golf. I probably could have achieved more success at golf, but I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. So I d chose not to be successful. And I'll tell you something interesting about the, the decision not to be successful at golf. It is much more positive to be not successful at golf than it is to be successful at golf. And I'll explain what that means. If you're a scratch golfer, for those of you that don't golf out there, it means that you basically you play to par. You're a very good golfer. You're, you come into the clubhouse and you only have negative things to say. Whereas if you're not a scratch golfer, let's say, let's say a 20 handicap like me, I come into the clubhouse and I have very positive things to say. Now, it sounds a little bit strange, but think about this. A scratch golfer is going to come in and say, if I only had a better drive on three, if I'd only stuck that approach on seven, if I'd only made that putt on nine, that sort of thing. Whereas I come into the clubhouse and I say, wow, remember my drive on 14? And boy, <laughs> I really had a great shot on 16. And my putt, remember the putt on three, the about 30-footer that I made? So I'm talking about all the great things I did because there are only a few of them, and he's talking about the few negative things he did. So I made a decision not to be successful at golf. Now, I'm not saying I didn't make decisions to be successful at other things. I decided to be successful at um, school, and that's a decision I made, and I went in, I have this 12 action steps to success. To su the success that you truly desire is, is the, uh, the way I describe decided success. And I made a, I actually made a decision to be successful at softball. Uh, I did that down in Houston and, and various other places. And I really worked at it and wanted to be as successful as possible. And some people pick a sport to be successful at. Well, the interesting thing about now is I'm, I've decided to be successful at life, in fact, at living with Parkinson's. And that's a decision I had to make, and I've made that decision. So... When they talk about life balance, to me, life balance is, is choosing to be successful at different things and choosing not to put the pressure of you, on yourself to be successful at everything. And that's a good life balance to, to pick and choose what you're successful at. Now, the second part, you ain't dead yet, goes back to a story I tell at the beginning of every one of my presentations. And I just came out with a novelty, a little mouse with um, with you ain't dead yet dot com on the on the front of it, and it's been a big hit with all the people I've sh I've given a given uh, one to. You ain't dead yet comes from a story that happened for me when I was newly married in New Orleans. I lived on the corner, and it, so the side of the house was exposed to the street, and I got a call from my n new wife at around three o'clock one afternoon. And what she said was that there's a, she said there's a mouse in the house, and I said well go get a trap and trap it and you know d dispose of it. And she said, no, come home now. So I said okay. Being newly married, I wanted to you know do whatever she wanted, and I came home and I got a trap on the way, and the only trap I could find was one of those sticky traps. They had none of the, the other types of traps. So I put it down where she said the, tr the mouse was, and she she we we checked the trap every few hours, and no mouse showed up. And I went got up the next morning, and there was still no mouse. And I went to work, 
And around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I kind of forget about this, and then at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she called and said, it's caught. And I said, well, you know, just pick up the trap and throw it in the garbage and you'll be done with it. She said, no, it's, it's in pain. It's squeaking. I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, come home now. So I come home, and she's waiting for me, and she's, she hasn't touched the trap. She won't go near it. And squeak, you could hear the mouse squeaking, and, you know, it, it's frantic. It's panicked. And she has a shovel in her hand, and she says, you know, go put it as humanely as possible, put it out of its misery. And I said, and there's a good, for those of you listening, the, the mouse doesn't die, so let's, let's not panic here. <laughs> so um, I take the, I'm wearing a, you know, a suit and new shoes, and I take the trap and I take the shovel to the side of the house, and I'm exposed to the street, and I, I look down at the mouse. Now I don't, I don't have any expertise in, in termite, you know, ex- extinguishing. So I tap it with the, the shovel, and I look at it, and I, I don't, the fur's still moving, but there's a breeze, and I can't tell whether it's moving or there's a breeze that's moving the fur, so I tap it again, and I'm looking at it, and I tap it again, and I'm thinking to myself, I look ridiculous. I look insane out here. And and then I, it, I, felt the, I felt like someone's eyes were on me, and I looked to my left, and across the street, there's this old lady full of wisdom, had to be 90 years old, and she's just sitting there looking at me and rocking back and forth in a, on a rocking chair on the porch of this house. And our eyes meet, and we, we realize the silliness of the situation. And I see her, she's about to say something, and she, she I wait for another second. And I hear her say from across the street in a booming voice, If it ain't dead yet, it ain't gonna die. <laughs> so I thought about that, and I thought about getting Parkinson's, and I thought about any life-changing condition. You ain't dead yet. Get the perspective. Understand that. You ain't dead yet. For the caregivers out there, your loved one ain't dead yet. For you, the care receivers out there, you ain't dead yet. You got a lot of life. You got a lot of things to do. And um, by the way, I, I like I said, I took them. I, after this happened, I, I said, well, this, this mouse deserves to live now. It's gone through enough with three shovel, t- shovel taps. So I've I found a way to get some solvent and get the get the mouse off and went far away from my house and let it go and it, it's probably happily alive today I don't know, but um but I learned you know a lesson about survival and about you know what what how to keep your perspective on the fact that you you're still alive. I did this talk um, in Houston Texas for the Houston area Parkinson's Society. And um, I went, I did an hour-long talk. I I think it came across very well. I had a bunch of people coming up to me afterward, you know, in tears, and and I felt like a faith healer to some extent. And one guy came up to me, and he had a he had a walker, and he had a nurse as well. He was in pretty pretty advanced stages of Parkinson's, and he he also was pretty elderly. And he said he went he said. And I said to the nurse, do you know what he said? And she said, I have no idea what he said. So I leaned closer, and he said, uh, and I said, I really can't hear you. And I leaned even closer, and he said, I ain't dead yet. <laughs> and I gave him the biggest hug in the world because he's he you know he had the best attitude. He couldn't talk very well. He couldn't walk very well. He, but you know what? He ain't dead yet. And that's been my kind of tagline since because it tells so much, you know, and it was it came from that wonderful woman across the street. You ain't dead yet.
Aside from the book being in part about softball and golf and wise women who are sitting across the street in mousetraps, what else is the book uh, that's forthcoming, Decide Success You Ain't Dead Yet, about? Well, basically, I've, I've looked at many success books, and they all have great cliches, and they've got great insights, and you pick up something here and there. But I hadn't, find, I hadn't found a success book that, you know, that maps it out for you that spells out exactly in practical terms what you need to do to be successful. Um, you know, if you choose to be successful at something, whether it be, you know, a career or a sport or entertaining or entertainment or artistic or, you know, any, musical, anything like that. So what I did was I broke down Decide Success into 12 uh, principles, Decide Success principles, and I broke it down further into, into five phases. So I'll describe for you. I'll just basically tell you what the five, what the um, phases and and principles are, and it'll come clear because they build on each other. And then as we go through this interview, I can talk more and more about the different uh, aspects of it. And for the Parkinson's community, you basically you're 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 in a situation of your new job is to decide success, and that success at living with Parkinson's. I'll even shorten it further. It doesn't really matter whether you have Parkinson's or not. You need to be successful at living at this point in your life. Uh, and the first step is, is the mapping phase. And the mapping phase is has two principles to it. Conduct an extensive assessment focusing on your natural abilities, talents, strengths, and weaknesses and interests. And, you know, I might not be able to play softball anymore. That might not be a talent of mine anymore because of the Parkinson's. And that's not a strength of mine. But I've got many other strengths. I can still play golf. I can still write. I can still speak in front of people. I can still practice law. I can still teach class. There's all sorts of things I can still do. So I don't need to focus on what I can't do. I need to focus on what I can do. And that's the first step is to do an assessment. As people get older, they're always going to have changes in their abilities and and, uh, talents. Um, and that's that's so the, there's constantly needs to be some sort of a reassessment of where you are and where, what you're interested in. Uh, and the second aspect of the mapping phase is experience your own end vision by actually being there, engaging all your senses. Then identify the specific necessary steps to make it your reality. Uh, end vision is much more than setting a goal. It's much more than um, setting an objective or, or having an end result there. End vision is when you actually experience what it's like to be there. And um, uh, for me, I wanted, I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was in 8th, eighth, eighth, ninth, 10th grade, something like that. I used to watch Perry Mason, and I could, I could actually um, feel what it's like to do the cross-examination. I was, I was projecting myself into Perry Mason's shoes and feel the thrill of a good cross-examination of a of somebody admitting that they did it at the end of the show and on the stand and that I actually was there I felt it I used my senses and felt it I didn't call it an end vision at that time but that's that's in in, in essence what I was doing and then um interesting I've I um I remember watching the DVD The Secret Robert do you remember The Secret mm-hmm. Oh yeah Well one of the things they talk about is you know, you need to, you need to, you know, you need to, for example, think about and 
make, convince yourself that there will be checks in the mailbox instead of bills. Now, that makes sense. You need to envision, but in reality, until you've got to, there's certain things you've got to do to get to that point. There's, a, there's kind of a skipped step. And to me, that is identify the specific steps necessary. For, for me to become an attorney eventually, I needed, to, I needed every day to, to improve my grades, every day to learn the subject matter, every day to, to build my resume or application for schools, and every day make money to, 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 to pay for school. So that was, the, that was true not only in high school, but college and law school, that I needed to do all those things in order to, 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 to get it to happen. So I didn't just have to graduate or have to pass, do well in the LSAT. Those, those are kind of a bigger picture things. When, you, when I talk about identifying specific things, you need to specifically say, here's the things I need to do today to get this job done. Um, so that's the mapping phase. Those are the, fir those are the first two. The work phase um, may be a little bit more uh, um, obvious to people, but I break it down into three things. Put out your absolute best effort. That's an absolute get must happen. Prepare and practice. Over-prepare. And then finally, be so intense you can feel adrenaline being released. That's that's what what I when I going through my career and going through you know my speeches and such. I actually get the get feeling adrenaline being released in order to to be as a, raise my level of intensity. So that's the work phase. The activ the activity phase has two components to it. It's principle six and principle seven. Continually seek out challenging experiences. Those include a variety of experiences, stretch experiences, which get you outside your, your comfort zone, and, in fact, unintended life experiences, and that's something like getting Parkinson's. That's a challenging experience, and I think anyone that has it knows that. And then the seventh principle is identify, develop, and nurture extensive contacts and resources. And that's what we've done. You are, not, you are now a contact of mine. I'm, I'm a resource of yours. Anyone listening to the show can use me as a contact or a resource. I have great doctors. Um, Irene Lidvan is, is at University of Louisville, and uh, I see her. I, in fact, I saw her today, and we had a great conversation. She's moving to um, University of California, San Diego uh, pretty soon. And they're, they're, they're fortunate. They'll be fortunate to have her there. And then the expansion phase is steps eight and nine, which is, and this eight is probably the most critical one to, for success because it's it's the hardest to teach, and it's not something you can just do on your own. You need to learn how to do it. Force yourself to increase your level of awareness by actively listening, continually questioning what is, seeing beyond what's apparent proactively anticipating and learning from mistakes. That's a mouthful. That's a lot of information right there, a lot of indications, and that's something you have to spend some time on. And then nine is once you've done the first eight steps, you've, you've, you've done the work, and you, can, you need to, at that point, get in touch with and trust your instincts. You, you now have a judgment. You now have a gut. You now have the ability to, to trust your instincts. And then finally, the, 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 the fifth phase is the legacy phase, and that's Exude the most positive attitude possible. That's critical. Live up to a standard of uncompromising integrity and have faith in yourself, have faith in others, have faith in a higher power, and have faith in your purpose, that, you need, that you have a purpose in life. So those 12 principles 
kind of build on each other and they're sequential and you know if somebody wants to be successful at whatever they want to be successful at they need they can go step by step through this and it's it's kind of like a a playbook or a recipe for success um i remember when i first took up the game of chess and took up the game of sudoku um i tried to learn them on my own and it took me a long time to 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 get better at when when i read books on them I I was able to become much better, much faster. And that's really what a book will do for you. You probably would be able to figure it out yourself. And for me, it took 30 years to come up with these in this order and what I liked about them. And uh, someone else could come up with them in 30 years, but you've got the benefit of getting the book. Clearly, the book is about success as it might apply to any endeavor. What does the book specifically have to do with Parkinson's? Well, your new job is is to live with Parkinson's, as I said. You've been thrown a fastball. In fact, you've been hit in the, between the eyes with a fastball, probably a Randy Johnson fastball. Whoever's the fastest, throw, hardest throwing fastballer now. I remember Nolan Ryan was pretty tough at some at one point. You've been hitting the now you're stunned you you didn't anticipate this you didn't ask for it you didn't didn't want it, but it happened. You've got Parkinson's okay now what do you do? Well, what you do is you have to you have to um come up with a game plan just like you came up with a game plan for your career because everyone's successful at something I believe so you take the the twelve steps and you say, okay, here you go. First, I have to do a self-assessment. I have to figure out what my what I continue to have the ability to do, what talents I have, what strengths and weaknesses and interests. And I'll, I'll relate the the story of Rudy. Remember Rudy, the the movie of the the boy who was from Northern Indiana and desperately wanted to play football for Notre Dame, and and uh, he didn't have the physical ability or the athletic ability or the intelligence to go to the school. You know that story, Robert? Right, right, right. Well, Rudy, as much as I love the story, and when they start going, Rudy, Rudy, at the end, you know, tears flow down my face because it's a, it's the ultimate underdog story that this kid should never have been able to get into this institution and he 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 slept in a cot in the boiler room, I mean, to, to, no, to a great extent. If you really look at Rudy, he probably didn't make a good decision. Now he 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 was able to get a great education at Notre Dame, and he he's he's got a great story to tell. But wouldn't it be smarter to go go with your strengths, to to travel downhill, to swim downstream, and not try to do something that that is nearly impossible to get done, even though you did get it done. Um, you know they they had a football player that they that. They moved down to third string, and he could, he could have been an All-American during the movie. And they and, if, and the coach said, if you had half the heart of Rudy, you'd be you'd be starting on this team. Well, there's certain people have athletic ability. Tiger Woods, for example, has great athletic ability, and he, he went with that athletic ability to become successful. I'm hap- I happen to be a, a good uh, debater or. I'm a persuasive person. So I went with my strengths. I went with being a lawyer. So I'm not saying don't go with your interests. If you love to do something, even if you're not good at it, you know, go for it. Have have a blast. But really when it comes to your assessment, 
you need to look at your strengths and interests and try to align them so that you're doing something that you can do and and can succeed at. Um, and then, you know, the, the end vision, well, I'll tell the end vision for me when it comes to Parkinson's. The end vision for me is to be the longest, healthiest, least affected person in the history of Parkinson's disease. And I can see what that's like. I look, I, I'm looking at myself today. I've had it for nine years. I'm still uh, active. I'm still uh, doing inspirational presentations. My hand tremors somewhat, but you know that doesn't really bother me. And what I do is I envision uh, from the start that I was gonna, just going to be as healthy as possible. But then when, the next part of envisioning is to identify the specific steps necessary to make it your reality. How do you do that? Well, obviously, as you've talked on your show many times with many different people, you've got nutrition, you've got exercise, you've got taking your medicine, if if you choose to take medicine, you've got all sorts of alternative, um, preventive alternative um, therapies that, that you've talked about on your show. So those are the specific things you've got to do. Don't think that just by envisioning it's going to automatically happen. You're not going to have checks in the mailbox the next day. If you want to sustain your quality of life, you've got to take the steps necessary. Identify the steps and then do them. Um, best effort, I don't know if that, you know, other other than I, 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 I am compassionate and empathize with people who have a hard time exercising because of the symptoms that they're experiencing. But you do, you do your best. Use your best effort to exercise and do the things necessary to, to, become a, to stay as healthy as possible. Uh, prepare and practice. I don't know if practice comes into play, but prepare definitely does. There's all sorts of research online. There's all sorts of, you know, Parkinson's recovery is a wonderful resource. There's all sorts of resources, and you, you should prepare like you're preparing for a test every day and spend at least a half an hour seeing what what's out there, seeing what the um, seeing what clinical trials there are, seeing what you can do to to improve your own your, yourself. Uh, be so intense you can feel adrenaline being released. I'll tell you about that. In the last three years, uh, uh, my most intense experiences have been. I guess graduating from law school was pretty intense as as an accomplishment. Um, trying my first lawsuit, um, you know, different work-related highlights, um, you know, playing softball for the Texas State Championships softball team as a shortstop. That was pretty, pretty, had a lot of adrenaline going. I felt pretty intense about that. In the last couple of years, I felt intense about doing my inspirational talks. And I suffer from fatigue related to the Parkinson's. That's my biggest complaint is my fatigue. Um, so when I do an inspirational talk, I need to go, you know, rest up afterward. And it, even even sleep doesn't really help that much. But it's well worth it. It's worth it for the for the, the adrenaline. It's worth it for the for the experience of of doing something that's important. And I just tried a lawsuit that was supposed to be a two day loss trial, and it went four days. And it wiped me out for about 12 days afterward. But if you ask me whether it was worth it, I can tell you no question about it. Uh, I had some people that really need, desperately needed my services. They were, we were outgunned and outmanned, and we, we ended up winning the case. 
and that that was important to them. They they were looking at financial ruin. They had young children. They're just regular Joes, and uh, you know I, I had a wonderful experience with that. Um, and that's what it means to be alive. I mean, what it means to when, when they had when they called their spouses and said that they that they had won that the case had been won, and the 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 the, the adulation and the exaltation that they had at that point in time was made it worth it all. So you know that's that's the that's the intensity that you can still achieve that intensity. You can still have adrenaline rushes, and Parkinson's shouldn't shouldn't stop you from doing that. Challenging experiences, you know, do something, write a book, go skydiving, be a public speaker. As I said, you ain't dead yet. Lots of things you can do. Get those experiences under your belt. Make your own bucket list. Um, extensive contacts and resources, we already talked about that. You know, get the right doctors, Get work with um, Parkinson's Disease Foundation, work with Michael J. Fox, work with whoever you need to work with. And then... Um, I guess I jump down to the legacy phase with attitude because Robert, what else? What is a placebo? Think about what a placebo is: a sugar pill. And when you have a placebo, they have to. There's a documented, credible placebo effect that you give someone a sugar pill and they're going to show benefits for at least two or three months. What is that other than mental positive? outlook. You think you're going to be beneficially affected, so therefore you are. Your mind did it for you. So you've got to harness that power. You've already got it within you. You don't need to take a sugar pill to figure that out. So be as positive as possible. And an uncompromising integrity um, and faith in yourself and others in higher power. People uh, talk sometimes about a higher power and and I, I truly believe that the higher power has a plan. One of the things that I that I espouse is, let me ask you this question: Do you, do you know why God gave me Parkinson's, Robert? No. <laughs> What's the answer? Because He knew I could handle it. Uh huh. He knew I could handle it, and that's the way I I think everyone needs to treat this this uh, issue, this condition. You know, realize that there's a plan there. And if you if you think about my life, I could have been working for making a lot of money for the next ten years at the same company I was working at, and maybe expand the company, help help with the expansion, and maybe allow some people to put food on their table and roofs over their heads, which is a great, honorable, and noble thing to be involved with. We went from 900 employees to 1,500 employees. That was 600 families that were able to feed the children and raise their children and put roofs over their heads and I feel proud of that but I could have died of a heart attack at my desk you know without experiencing the inspirational talks that I've done and and the leadership discussions and the and the harassment prevention and the domestic violence prevention and the teaching of young minds and you know I, it, it, it truly I'm not I'm not just saying this because I'm a positive person it truly was the best thing for me to have happen. You've been talking about your forthcoming book, Decide Success. You ain't dead yet. Have you contributed to any other books? Yeah, I had the I had the the honor of being contacted by a publisher, and they asked me to 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 submit a chapter 
to a book that is coming out in three weeks called Roadmap to Success. And I think they asked a lot of people, maybe hundreds of people, to, to, to submit a chapter. And they chose mine as one of the 16 chapters that they, they were going to put in the book. It's chapter five of the book. And what, what's, what's really thrilling about it for me because is that there were two other, um, uh, the two name or more famous part, um, people, edit, uh, authors contributing to the book are Ken Blanchard, Dr. Ken Blanchard from the, uh, um, a management guru that's that's pretty impressive and someone who's become very very popular uh deepak chopra is also contributing a chapter so he's contributing chapter three i've got chapter five and it comes out in three weeks so i'm real excited about that and you can find out more about that book and i can i can send it to you if you go to decidesuccess.info so instead of dot com it's decidesuccess.info or you can go to um theinspiringesquire.com. My guest uh, today is John Bowman, who is a lawyer and who will be talking some about legal issues as they pertain to individuals who currently experience symptoms of Parkinson's. If you have any questions of John, whatever they might be, whether they pertain to success or legal types of issues, you can call in now. We have a toll-free number. That's 877-590-0733. And I'll be happy to connect you directly with John so you can ask him your questions rather than having me ask all of my questions, which I'd love to do anyway. Every person that is diagnosed with Parkinson's or, in fact, any life-changing condition eventually ask him or herself the very simple question, what do I do now? How did you answer that question? Well, I remember very vividly the day that I walked into a neurologist's office, handed her my admission forms, and had her say to me, you have Parkinson's. There was no test given. There was no urine taken. There was no... He didn't. She didn't hit me in the knee with a with a hammer. She didn't take any blood. Just looked at me and said, "You have Parkinson's," and I was totally blown away, stunned, shocked, every sense of the word. Um, and she described to me the symptoms and said, "You know, you can see from your form, you have micro handwriting. Your arm doesn't swing when you walk. Your hand is trembling. You don't not blinking. You have poker face." Um, uh, you know, basically those were the major symptoms. And I recognized all the symptoms and it was true. So I went into the bathroom, I can remember this, and splashed water on my face and um, said, basically, welcome to your new reality. You're 41 years old and you have Parkinson's. You know, you're going to have to deal with this. And I, I remember, I don't know if I should have been driving or not, but I was driving that day and everything was in slow motion because of the, 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 the magnitude of the events that had just occurred. And besides being emotionally drained from the whole experience, I also didn't look forward to discussing it with my wonderful parents who are still alive, my wife, my kids, and dealing with their reactions to it because I was not an expert in Parkinson's, had no idea what it was about. Uh, nobody in my family had ever had it. I never knew anybody with Parkinson's, and it just it was just a scary word to me. 
and I knew it was not curable. That it was it was progressive and it was neurologic and and that doesn't sound good to me. And I know it doesn't sound good to anyone out there. So I thought about it and and I said, well, you know, I initially said I need, you know, my three A's: awareness, action, and acceptance. And I worked with that model for a little while, and it was it was something that that kind of led me to where I am today. I had been I had been discuss, discussing for some time writing a book on success. I had been doing a lot of lectures on it in at University of Louisville, and and been asked by many. Uh, the mayor's office was transitioning, and they asked me to come and talk to their people about success. I talked to high schools. I had talked to junior highs. I talked to elementary schools about success. So I'd been thinking about putting a book together and never had the time to do it because I was so busy at work that when I left my job, that's what I kind of concentrated on. And what was interesting, Robert, was I was working on success and dealing with Parkinson's. Success, dealing with Parkinson's, success, dealing with Parkinson's, and they came together. And I said, I need to work on success, dealing with Parkinson's, put them together. And I looked at the 12, the 12 things I'd come up with, the principles I mentioned earlier, and they fit perfectly. That, you know, the model doesn't just focus on career success or academic success or sports success or... Uh, artistic endeavor success, it can focus, it can be used just as powerfully and just as applicably on success after life-changing condition. So my my inspirational talks changed from um, something that was was real important at the time, and that's to let people know that they're appreciated, whether they're the care receivers or the caregivers, the family caregivers, the professional caregivers, but basically f- focusing on how to be successful as a caregiver because your life is thrown upside down by this event. You know, you've got a full plate already. Now you've got somebody, a loved one that you've got to care for. You've got to figure out how to be successful at being a caregiver. And the person who has the condition has to be successful at having the condition and living life throughout all that. So the 12 principles seem to fit perfectly for for that situation as well. You can't give up. I mean, you just can't give up. I'm sure you can, but that's probably not the best course of action. Uh and it's, you know, I know people who have who have had illnesses where they've been unable to walk and they've been told they'll never walk again. I have one friend in particular and he's walking today. You know, it's a matter of going through the steps and you know that's probably the best effort step and it's it's tough there's no there's no it's not a rose garden but um that's what you got to do and so what what I what what do I do now used to be a real question in my head and I was I was floundering a little bit once I applied the success principles the decide success principles to my um, condition, my my stage in life, my new job, which is live successfully with Parkinson's, um, it's become a lot more manageable and a lot more focused and directed to what I need to do. Blah, bang, 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 bang. Here's my roadmap. Here's my recipe. Here's my uh, guidelines.
you've just offered an eloquent uh, explanation to uh, answering the question, what do I do now in terms of applying that to yourself? What advice would you give to someone else who's answering the question for themselves, what do I do now? Look deep inside yourself. You, you've got you're, you're a human being. You've got spirit. You've got um, you, you've got life force. You've got an inner 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 strength. Tap into your inner strength. Like I said before, and I can't believe that I say this now, but I'm, I truly believe it. That Parkinson's was for the best. My mother says to me, um, she said the other day that Parkinson's. She said everything happens for a reason. And I said to her, you know, that's interesting that you say that because uh, I remember growing up, I think the phrase you used was everything happens for the best. And she said, well, your Parkinson's certainly wasn't the, for the best. And I, that motivated me. And I said, you know, it gave me a different perspective. And I said, you know, maybe it is. Maybe I was uh, on a road that I shouldn't have been on. Maybe I, I had, uh, there were other things that I needed to be and do and be of service to people and have purpose and, you know, that all came to be. Now, I haven't convinced her yet it was for the best. Um, she's a tough, tough cookie. Um, but I think it's more and more becoming apparent that that my life has a lot more meaning now than it did before um, because of the crusade that I'm on with to do with Parkinson's. So look inside yourself and, you know, keep your keep your chin up. Uh, know that you now have a challenge. This is not easy. It's not going to be an easy thing. But use my 12 principles and, you know, do them for yourself. Everyone has different interests. You don't have to, you know, for example, maybe I loved softball, but now I'm coaching, you know, so I'm doing a different aspect of, of softball. Maybe I loved, uh, you know, tennis and soccer, and now I can coach those things. I can maybe teach them to, to, to youngsters, inner-city youth, um, uh, there's a lot of things, you know, interests that I've had over the years that that uh, I can now, you know, do other ways. I, I for example, uh, although I still practice law, I don't practice as much. I t- as I mentioned, I have that fatigue issue. So I teach what they used to call continuing adult education, but some marketing guru got got a hold of them, and now it's lifelong learning. Actually, I like I like the phrase better, lifelong learning. So I teach a course called Law for the Common Man slash Woman, What Every Person Needs to Know About the Law. And over five weeks, we talk about courts, and we talk about criminal law, and we talk about you know labor law, and we talk about employment law. And it's 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 so I may not be practicing as much anymore, but I'm out there teaching it, and you know that that gives me as much of a, as much of a thrill as as, as practicing law. So there's, although you need to recognize you you have more weaknesses now, no question about it, and less strengths and less talents and less abilities, you still got some. You ain't dead yet, and you've got interests. And then go through the rest of the steps, envision, figure out the steps necessary to make make it your reality. Use your best effort. Prepare. Be intense. Get your bucket list together. Identify and nurture ex- extensive context and resources, positive attitude, and then faith. So, you know, the same same principles that apply to, to what I would do, you need to do. And be inspired by by the, the, the challenge you've got ahead of you. 
Uh, I've seen I, I met a woman who is finished law school. She's 28 now. She's had Parkinson's for three years and is very advanced in her Parkinson's. And she's got the best attitude in the world. She's she's not going to let it get to her. And she's she's still practicing law and you know maybe needs to take it take take rest periods and such like that. But you know it's going to you only do the best you can and don't beat yourself up. Clearly, don't beat yourself up. When I have to t- when I get tired and I have to take a nap in the afternoon and I feel like wow well, I only got three hours of work in today, so be it. I used I put out my best effort. It's not as much as it used to be, but that's the way it is. And accept it and and move on and, and enjoy life to the fullest. This is your chance to get some free legal advice from lawyer John Bowman. You can call in toll-free, 877-590-0733. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. I want to shift to ask you some specific questions uh, that pertain to legal issues and an individual who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's. But first, I'd really like to ask you what role you fulfill with regard to the Parkinson's community in general. Well, you know, the first role I fulfill is many of the symposiums, seminars that are put on around the nation in small towns and cities and uh, groups that are just doing wonderful work and so support groups and such like that. Um, they talk so much about the clinical side of Parkinson's, and that's proper. They talk about deep brain stimulation. They talk about advances. They talk about um, exercise. They talk about dance therapy. In fact, in Indianapolis, a wonderful couple of people, Linda, Linda and Mary, are are doing rock steady boxing where they you know they they're bo- they have a boxing clinic and they box and they've seen tremendous results from that that t- type of exercise uh and tremendous improvements for many people so whatever you, you know whatever aspect it is but a lot of that is more clinical and not inspirational and what I do what what my main role and what I what I desperately wanted to do want to do at every location Every support group, every city, every town that has a support group is do my inspirational talk. It takes about an hour. I can cut it down a little bit. But to to just talk, talk tell stories of inspiration. My daughter has cerebral palsy. She was born without a diaphragm. She's a, she's a wonderful um, model and prototype for the positive attitude. Uh, she came to me uh, in sixth grade and said that she wanted to be a cheerleader. Well, the the parent in me was cautious about that. Kids in sixth grade can be cruel, especially during basketball games when, you know, they're from a different school and she probably couldn't do all the cheers and, you know, know, had cerebral palsy, so, you know, couldn't, couldn't do a lot of things. And she said, no, I want to do it. And she just went, you know, did it, and I was proud and proud of her. And she, she hung with the rest of the team, and she looked differently. And but, you know, it, it was it was a good experience for her. Well, the next year, she said to me, "I'm not going to play. I'm not going to do cheerleading anymore." And one side of me said, "Well, I'm glad because you know I don't want her to expose the ridicule. I want her to be safe. I don't. I want to protect her." And she followed up that by saying, "I'm going to play basketball." So she joined the girls' basketball team, 
and she got in the last 30 seconds of the game and would go to her spot to play defense and go to her spot when they had the ball on offense and never really touched the ball, but she got to play, and she was part of the team, and she got that thrill, and I was proud as heck of her because nothing will stop the girl. Nothing stops her. And I, when I do my inspirational talks, I draw inspiration from her because she's my, she's my hero. Um, and, you know, that's that's the talk about attitude. And I tell my the mouse story that I already told, and I, I go through different uh, stories about um, my life and what I've seen in other people's lives. And it, it's a real inspiration. And uh, I want to, to me, my mission is to, is to, give that inspirational speech as many places as possible. I could do it for MS, I could do it for cancer, it doesn't really matter. It's any sort of life-changing condition. And then um, I, I'm a clinical trial advocate for the for the Parkinson's Disease Foundation uh, out of New York. And that what that means is uh, very often uh, they're, they're at, they need subjects for clinical trials and, you know, you're... you're you potentially could be taking less medication or taking, uh, as I mentioned earlier, placebos, and it, you may have, um, you may not get the benefit of treatments that you could be having uh, in order for the, the the research to be done. And, and I think it's honorable for you to do that. And I've I've done some a number of clinical trials, and they need subjects. They need people to volunteer to 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 do that, and it's real important that we do because that's the only way we're going to find a cure. So I've been very involved in finding clinical advocates, um, being a clinical advocate for clinical trials, and um, and then just you know writing books and writing articles and that sort of thing. That's that's my role, and the role comes from the, the decide success principles. I've assessed what I can do. And when it comes to Parkinson's, and that's what I'll do. And everyone needs to figure out what the, what their role is with regard to Parkinson's, because as I said, you know, there's a plan. I think the higher power has a plan, and you need to figure out what 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 your role is with that, whatever plan the, that God has. You want to get some legal legal advice now? I'd love to. Every person who is diagnosed with Parkinson's or, yeah, for that matter, any life-changing condition that is still employed eventually ask him or herself the very same question. How much do I tell my employer? How did you answer that question as a lawyer? Well, that was tough. I was in-house as a general counsel of a, of a publicly traded company, and since I was um, an officer of the company, I felt as though my CEO uh, and the board needed to know what the situation was. Uh, um, eventually, they would see the tremors and be asking questions anyway. Uh, I felt as though I should be upfront about it and um, trust the fact that they're going to do the right thing. And they did the right thing. There was no, there was never any issue. Uh, they, they, like any responsible director or officer of a company or anyone in charge of a company, they they asked me for more information to make sure that it wasn't something that would affect my cognitive ability at that time, uh, that I could, that I didn't have memory problems. And in fact, they knew that I had a hard time taking notes and I was a secretary of the corporation. So they had a, an assistant come in and take notes during board meetings, which was, which was a nice accommodation. So, um, you know, I made the decision to be upfront about it. There's no legal obligation to disclose. Um, if if the if 
there's a deterioration in, in your ability to do your job, whether it's because it's a physical labor position or it's a, or it's a, a more cognitive position, then they, the, the company has a right to, to, to make sure that you can, you can fulfill the requirements of the job um, and ask you, you know, to, to, to undergo whatever they need to undergo. But um, you have no affirmative obligation to go forward. I just felt it was the best thing to be to be upfront and, and forthright about it. I won't say honest because it's not like you're deceiving anybody. It's just this is what's happened and, and you've got a condition. Now, if you want to take advantage of the Family Medical Leave Act, if your employer employs more than 15 people and you've been there for more than a year, um, then you need to go and fill out that paperwork. And there's an aspect of it called intermittent leave, which is from time to time. It's not that you have episodes that last for a week at a time, uh, and they have to give you 12 weeks per year. Um, uh, so if, you know, for me, if, if I had felt fatigue one Friday, I worked too hard Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I could take off that Friday and not have it count against me for for um for absenteeism purposes or tardiness purposes or anything to do with any sort of a policy um because I have the right to take up to 12 weeks they're unpaid or if the comp employer forces you to take paid first you, you have to use up your vacation first but there can be no adverse consequences for taking your intermittent leave so definitely look into family medical leave act and I didn't end up having to do that but um, it's something that, that that's important to look at. This is how you handle it. What advice would you give to someone else who is confronting the question, how much do I tell my employer? Well, if you don't tell them, you can't, so to speak, make a claim of discrimination. Let me, let me describe that. This, the American with Disabilities Act prohibits employers from discriminating against you for your disability. And Parkinson's pretty clearly is a disability. Um, it, 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 affect, it affects the, your ability to do the essential functions of your job. So if you can do the essential functions of your job without an accommodation, your, your Parkinson's hasn't progressed to that point, um, you, you have a choice whether to tell your employer or not, because it's not you're not needing any accommodation. If you feel like you need an accommodation, whether it's a redistribution of work amongst the people that that work that do your job, or uh, um, a different position that you feel it would be better for your physical abilities, then you need to go and put your put your employer on notice. Go in and say, I have a disability. I have Parkinson's. Uh, let, I, I can still perform the essential functions of the job. Uh, we need to work together to find a reasonable accommodation, or if one is even needed, um, and you know to work together with your employer. Not all employers are as understanding as I'd like them to be. Uh, what 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 I do for employers is I help them do the right thing. I help them comply with the law. So I've taken a proactive approach on that. I'm not looking to be the 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 plaintiff's attorney who goes after employers as you know known as the you know the, per, the 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 Parkinson's bulldog or something like that. I would rather get the right thing done, be the anti-lawyer, go out to employers and 
make sure they do it right. If someone comes in with Parkinson's or any life-changing condition, for them to call me for advice, and I would I would help them do the right thing, work with them on a combination. I've done that for 25 years with employers that work for me, and we've never been sued for just disability discrimination. Um, so you know, it's 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 a it's not a cut and dried yes go tell them or don't don't go tell them. You know, it, you have to have a feel for the way your employer re, re, will react to it. Are they um, are they Crow Magnons? Are they um, Neanderthals as a as a management group, or are they uh, modern and progressive, where they understand the, the the obligations they have, and they they're much more humanistic and realize the fact that you didn't ask for this, you didn't you didn't do something that caused this. This this is something that happened to you, and you need to you know work with your employer to to make sure that they do the right thing. And the, the only way they can really know about it and work hand in hand with you is to know about it. And um, and then you've got the the aspect of if they are um, n- not progressive and they 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 want to take a take make, take the wrong road. You've got to put them on notice just so that you can establish a discrimination case if they move you out of your job and lower your pay and such like that. So I've established a website called Parkinson'sAttorney.com uh, that describes how to get in touch with me so that you know if you feel like you're being discriminated against. I would rather make a phone call to the to the company, you know, not try to lie in wait and try to build up damages so that I can get a nice fee. I would rather go to them up up front and say, "Hey, you need you're not getting the right advice if you've even asked for legal advice. You need to you need to look at this again because you haven't you know there's other things you can do. There's accommodations you can make. You know we need to you know this employer employees sometimes have been there for, for decades, and they're 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 they've been loyal employees and they need to be uh, protected." person then looking for some support could actually contact you then and be able to get just that. Right. I, I have contacts with, you know, if I need them with discrimination attorneys all over the United States that I can that I can work with um, to make sure that if, you know, if we can take the soft approach and get the, get the employer to do the right thing, great. If we have to take the hard approach, we'll take the hard approach. And I'm involved in some suits right now that involve the hard approach. And that's that's you know that's going after them for damages because it's not appropriate what they're doing. And uh, when things like this happen, and I start spitting fire because it, it upsets me greatly. Um, discrimination. Let me just describe what discrimination is. Discrimination is a three-step analysis. And the first step is: Are you a member of a protected class? And if you've got Parkinson's, you're a protected class because of disability. And did you have an adverse employment action? And yes, you did. You've either been demoted or changed jobs or reassigned or something to that effect. Then the, the employer has to articulate, and the second step is articulate a non-discriminatory reason. So if, if they want to say that, you know, yes, we, don't, we just didn't think you could do the job, they've got to show that, um, that sort of thing. And then uh, the third step is typically pretext that the real reason they mo- moved you was not what they're saying; it's because of your disability. And in in the in the most cases, it's tougher to it's tough to prove pretext. But in the disability case, 
it's it's they've made the decision based upon your disability. It's it's not a coincidence that you happen to be disabled and they happen to move your jobs at the same time. So it, it becomes a, a clearer case of something that you can bring forth. And um, So it would be uh, really an opportunity for people to hire you as a lawyer, as an advocate, to be able to sort through uh, issues that they might be confronting. And that might really just consist, I suppose, of a telephone call where they could talk with you about what's going on and you could uh, give your recommendations from the perspective, from the legal perspective. Would that be correct? Right. I have a certain expertise. I've been doing employment law for 25 years. Um, I'm a heck of a trial lawyer. And I'm also, as you can tell, I have great common sense and I, I, I want to keep big picture perspective. I would rather, uh, you know, think about, you know, you might be an expert at chemistry or an expert at um, business or whatever, but you, you, I have a certain expertise that you don't have. And that's, that's in fact, one of the steps in the 12 Decide Success Principles, and that is um, to identify, develop, and nurture extensive contacts and resources. I am a contact and resource with regards to Parkinson's employment. And what I can do is I can speak the, speak the language that needs to be spoken. And I have all the background on, on, on um, disability and the American with Disabilities Act. And I also have a vested interest and in a particular sweet spot on this because it's, it's something that I, I suffer from, so to speak. So I have a lot more passion than most attorneys would have. That's why I've kind of, and this is interesting. I've talked, I talked about earlier, Robert, the move from success dealing with Parkinson's, success dealing with Parkinson's, success dealing with Parkinson's, and how those melded together. Mm-hmm. Then I've got on the other side, I've got employment attorney, Parkinson's employment attorney, Parkinson's employment attorney. So those two move together and talk about you know I'm aha moments. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be so successful, and it didn't even occur to me that I could marry the three together: success principles, living with Parkinson's, and you know, doing employment law. So now, the three things have come together, and it's 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 such a pleasant thing to be involved with, um, because I I know now what my role is. I know what my intended plan is supposed to be, and that's to help people deal with exactly what I had to deal with. And that's when, when you know, their hands start shaking they, and they need to go see their employer. They don't. The employer probably doesn't have the expertise. You certainly don't have the expertise to to figure out what what complies with the law, Family Medical Leave Act, disability laws, um, America with Disabilities Act. So check it with me, and then me working out a plan with your employer is so beneficial to both you as well as your employer, and so cost-effective as opposed to them screwing up and doing the wrong thing and having you have to suffer for months, if not years, and then try to obtain some sort of damage verdict where you've where you've alienated the employer and you still have to work there after having a lawsuit where you've won the lawsuit. Uh, it just, it doesn't mix. It doesn't make for good interpersonal relations. This is Proactive Prevention, and I have a website called ProactivePreventionCulture.com, and you know it's Proactive Prevention Harassment, Proactive Prevention Injuries, Proactive Prevention Union Avoidance uh, for the employer. But this is another a- aspect of it. It's it's to make sure that 
that the employer handles you properly and you know who better to know how to do that than someone who actually has Parkinson's themselves once again how do people get in touch with you John Parkinson'sAttorney.com, but they can call me at 502-262-3300 or email me at John, J-O-H-N, Bauman, B-A-U-M-A-N-N, E-S-Q, Edgar Sam Queen at Yahoo.com. But the, the best way is to just go to Parkinson'sAttorney.com and it's got all the information. And uh, if, you're, if, if it's more memorable for you, you ain't, you ain't dead yet.com which is um has a, has a contact information as well. And the you know, ain't does not have an apostrophe on that website, is that right? That, that's correct. You can't do apostrophes on websites. Right. Web addresses. But you know, I, I'll just throw in something that's kind of a side note about employment law. Employment law is supposed to be protect people from not just terminations or demotions or adverse employment actions once they are hired, but it's supposed to protect you from adverse employment actions of not being hired, failure to hire. And it's it's pretty obvious when an employer only hires Caucasians and hire, and the, the community around them is 50-50, let's say, and they're only hiring Caucasians, that, that they've somehow discriminated against uh, African-Americans uh, by, not, by failure or refusal to hire. But when it comes to par- when it comes to disability like Parkinson's, let's say you know um, you your hand tremors during the interviews, and interviews are stressful, and we we found that Parkinson's is more prominent, more apparent during stressful situations. So your hand tr- tremors during during uh, interviews, and you. Or, or you're you're known like myself in the Parkinson's community, and you're out there, and any any HR person worth their salt is going to Google at least your name if you're going to if they're looking to hire you your name with the city you're from, and they'll you'll easily find out if you're um, involved at all in Parkinson's um, community, um, and you may not get an interview in the base case. But let's just say you have interviews, you have five or six interviews. And you show up and you say, well, my hand's shaking because I have Parkinson's. And they don't hire you. How on earth are you going to prove that that had anything to do with it? Um, and that's that's one of the tough things about about failure to hire. People out there who have lost a job for one reason or another, maybe justified, maybe a layoff, maybe a bankruptcy, a close, closing of a plant, and they go to apply for another job and they get discriminated against because they're not hired due to the Parkinson's. Tough thing to prove. I've got some great ideas to do it. I'm working on those right now. But you've got to go to the EEOC first. It's a prerequisite before going to court. And the EEOC, I don't know how they would investigate that. I guess they'd have to charge all six employers or 12 employers or however many you had. Or maybe however many applications you put in where you didn't get interviews. And that's 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 a substantial process. And uh, I brought this to the attention of the EOC how difficult it would be to to bring a claim against hundreds of employers if you make a lot of applications. And they said that you know they would just they went by the book. They said they they would have to investigate each one of them and see if they knew you had Parkinson's and and see if they see if they took that into account in making a decision not to hire not to even interview you or to hire you. So there's the, the whole the whole area is fraught with 
with landmines and loopholes. You've got to go to the EOC within 300 days, and you've got to get a right to sue letter, and then you've got to file that within file a suit within a certain number of days. It's not it's not for the novice. It's something that really you need help with. And I think I, I personally believe that there's a lot of discrimination going on with regards to Parkinson's in the workforce because it's such an apparent disability. And um, I think it needs to be eradicated, and, and that's what I'm, that's what my mission is to do. Through the soft way, contacting the employers and just say, do the right thing, here you go, or through the hard way. I'm Robert Rogers. My guest today on the show is John Bowman, who's talking about uh, issues that affect individuals currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's, as well as his book, which is forthcoming, titled Decide Success, You Ain't Dead Yet. The second edition of my book, which was initially published in 2010, is now hot off the press. You can get that uh, from Amazon, or you can see uh, detailed information about Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease by visiting the website www.parkinsonsdisease.me. John, what role have you taken with regard to disability discrimination? Uh, sorry about the noise in the background. Uh, I'm going to... I'm at University of Louisville because um, on these radio shows you need to have a landline now so that right. you don't, it doesn't drop reception. You know how hard it is to find a landline now? It's hard, isn't it? To... Yeah, it's tough. Um, but my role is to is to be an advisor, is to be the, the the people's attorney, is to help people out that are that are my pods, that my my people. As I do my inspirational talks, I did one in Houston and Birmingham recently. Um, up in Indianapolis, I start out by saying, hey, you're my people. You're my pods. I'm one of you. You're one of me. We're all in this together. And, uh, you know, you bring certain expertises. I bring certain expertises. I am a crack lawyer. I'm an exceptional lawyer. I, I, I am not shy about saying that. Um, and what I want to bring is uh, awareness to this. I'm not looking to, 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 to do anything on principle. I'd rather have every employer do the right thing in the base case, as I've been saying. But if they don't, you know, then I'm going to find the right resources. If it's me, that's great. If it's someone else, that's great, too. And um, make sure that they they it's, that they it's understand that they need to comply with the law. And the law is a good law. The American with Disabilities Act is a good law. Um, I, at one point in time after leaving my general counsel position, I, th I missed it a little bit, and I thought about going back, and, and I, I tell the true story about making 100 applications to uh, different companies to be their employment lawyer, even a junior employment lawyer, and getting no responses from any of them because I'm, so, I'm sure that they – and, in fact, I had two interviews that were canceled and before I even got there, and I, I expect that someone from the HR department looked at it. Um, and I wasn't ready at that time to, to take this on full bore, but I am now, and that's that's what's important to me. So folks out there who are listening live, and I know there are a large number of you out there, this is your last chance to be able to get some free legal advice. You can obviously ask John any question about anything, and you can obviously call in, and you don't even have to give your real name. You can give a face fake name if you'd like. 
So call the toll-free number 877-590-0733 if you live in the United States now and connect with John to get your free legal advice. Or if you happen to live outside the United States, you can always connect through the radio show uh, using Skype on your computer. Or there's another number you can call, and that is 347-945-5358. Again, this is your chance, free legal advice. And I want to remind everybody, lawyers cost these days 350 or $400 an hour. So... This would be a good opportunity if you've got any issue whatsoever you'd like to sort through. So, John, what other legal issues uh, do you think people with Parkinson's need to be aware of that we have not yet talked about? Well, one issue is if you decide to go for Social Security Disability. And that's a, that's a, that's a long process, and people need to know about it because um, it's something that you need to consider at some point in time. Uh, you may be, you may in the beginning say, well, I'm, I'm not, so to speak, bad enough off, and I don't want to go that route, and I don't want to tap into the government's resources. But my feeling is you put money into the system. You, you, you put money into the system for years and years, a lot of money into the system, and this is what, this is what it was for. So, you know, the first, the first thing you look at is, um, Am I being discriminated against by my employer in, in their actions towards me? Second thing, if you do get dis, dis, discharged, uh, do you have the right to get long-term disability, short-term disability from whatever insurance carrier you've got? Because insurance carriers, you hope that they they they're doing the right thing, but they they're not they're not in the business to pay off claims. They're in the business to collect premiums. I know that's a little bit jaded, but um, and some. Some insurance companies pay off pretty readily, but you got to look at you got to look at whether you're entitled to any disability for, for the insurance you paid over the years, and then you look at Social Security disability, and you've got to look at you know it's a long process and it's it's it's, it's a difficult process. Um, there's a lot of hoops to go through, and they typically deny your claim the first time through, um, and that that tends to discourage people from going again and getting an attorney, but um, they'll they'll deny it because um, for lots of reasons, and some of them being that you haven't filled out the paperwork properly, and some of them being that um, that if they if they there's only a limited amount of funds, and if they do not deny a claim, then you know there must be a percentage out there that don't even go go to try to appeal it. So um, so you know again you need you're going to need some guidance in this area and I've got the resources to to go ahead and help guide that. So that's another a aspect of it when you get to the point where you need to, you know, you need to consider social security disability and then Medicare that you need to, you know, hopefully they'll accept it the first time through. But if they don't, it's a good a good good um advice, good plan of action to get get an attorney involved that that knows the knows what they're doing there. I've got a whole group of people like that. Um, so, you know, it, you're, you're entering into a, a realm of the law, of the legal ex experience that you're not familiar with. And, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. You didn't go to law school. Just like I, I'm not, I'm not going to find a cure for Parkinson's. I didn't go to medical school. But, you know, I can f fill that role in another way, and that's helping people.
So, John, are you available to be an inspirational speaker for groups? Uh, if they call you, would you be willing to come, given your plate is already pretty full? There is nothing more important to me right now than inspirational talks. Uh, they're most most of the time done on weekends, and I'll expand. I'll expand. You know, we need to expand the the the, the thought process. Um, the inspiration can be to Parkinson's groups, can be to uh, caregivers, family caregiver support groups, can be professional caregivers. I, I had the vision of medical providers um, because if you think about it, professional caregivers. At one time, they went into the into the profession for for real altruistic purposes. Now it's a, the jobs are really in healthcare. They may not have had the same calling that the they, the previous people that went into that profession had, or most of them did. So they they can be burned out, and they might need a shot in the arm. Excuse the pun. And um, that's 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 what what I'd like to do. I'm I'm shocked. That I haven't, that I haven't, the word of mouth hasn't gotten out there enough, so that I can, I can um, be tapped into by healthcare providers to come speak to their professional caregivers uh, to inspire them to, you know, be rejuvenated, that sort of thing. I am speaking in Cincinnati at the Sunflower Symposium on September 10th. That's going to, that's my next major speaking engagement. And Davis Finney, um, the Olympic uh, uh, bicyclist who has Parkinson's, will be the the the, the lunchtime speaker, um, and he's doing it by Skype. I'm going to be there live right before lunch, and I'm really looking forward to that. So anyone that's that's available to come to the Cincinnati area September 10th, it's going to be a tremendous experience. Um, I, they've got a great lineup of people, but I want to. I, I, I want you know. I'll go anywhere. I've been to Houston, Birmingham, Cincinnati is coming up, Indianapolis, Louisville a number of times. Um, I, I I really want to do this. I, I think it's a gift that I'm not ashamed to say I have that I want to share with as many people as possible, and that's what's important to me. Um, I want to affect as many people as possible while I still have the physical ability to do so. So, you know, it's it's not just Parkinson's, it's cancer, it's MS, it's any life-changing condition. Even in the employment r- ranks, it's it's uh, if you're having downsizing and you need someone to pump the people up, if you if you're having um, if you're having a change in management, change in leadership. I just was down in. Um, uh, Fort Knox, and help. I uh, helped out the uh, a group there um, that that needed some inspiration as as they changed out some management. And you know, it, 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 for me, I, what I get out of it is I get the adrenaline rush. I feel like I'm making a difference. I feel like I've I've um, inspired somebody, and it's a great opportunity to work with people, and I can. I can rest. I can rest when I'm done. I don't need. I, I'll, I'll use up all my energy I can. What else do you want to be sure and tell people, John, before we close out? Given that our time is now short. Um. What do I want to tell people? 
Um, enjoy life. You know, make a difference. Figure out what your legacy is, what your mission is, what your purpose is. I'll, I'll tell a story of a very close friend of mine that passed away last year. And he said to me the night before he passed, he said, did I make a difference? And I said to him, you made a difference to me. And I told him this story. And he, he, he had no idea that he'd made such an impression. My freshman year at University of Massachusetts, I'm from New York, so all it's a, it's, a, it's a state school in Massachusetts. So a lot of people from the same high schools came to school there. So they already had their friends, and they weren't. It wasn't like we were thrown into a new situation, and everyone was equal in the fact that they knew nobody, and so that you know you, you made an effort to meet new people. Everyone had their friends, but coming from New York, I was an out-of-stater. So my freshman year, I felt really excluded, and as much as I'm an outgoing person, uh, it was very difficult to get into the cliques that were involved already. So my sophomore year, I moved to a new dorm. And it felt like it felt like starting over again. It felt like the same old, same old. And the first few hours there, I was ready to quit and just go back home and just call it a day. And I walked down the hall, and this gentleman, his name was Bradshaw, came up to me and said, "What's your name?" And you know, asked me some questions, and we we seemed to get along. And he was kind of the leader of the Attleboro group, that Attleboro, Massachusetts. And he just, from the very start, included me in the group. And, you know, in his life, he wasn't very successful. He had two two children, but he, he, he his divorce devastated him. He wasn't successful in business. He was for a while, but then it went south. He lived with his parents at the end. And did he make a difference? Yeah. To me, he made a tremendous difference because he accepted me in and kept me in school at that time when I was not looking to... When I was when I was at my lowest point, and he had no idea what he did. All he did was just he just was a friend, and he he reached out to to another human being. And I told him that, and and at his memorial service, his parents asked me to fly up to Boston and and give the eulogy as memorial service. And that's the story I told of how important it was to him to feel like he made a difference, and how important it was. Um, to me that people understand that he made just a tremendous difference in my life and, you know, for for one kind gesture. And uh, he was a great great father to his two boys. Yes, yeah, I told him to be proud of that. And, um, you know, that's... that's you, you Find your purpose. Find your mission. Find your reason for being. Because you're going to be questioning that at the end anyway. So you might as well... Do it now. I'll, I'll tell one one last quick story. I'm sh- I think I have a little time. Did you do you know who invented dynamite, Robert? Do you know this? Uh, it was Nobel, wasn't it? Alfred Nobel. Uh-huh. And what was interesting about that was he he his brother passed away, and this is the way the story goes. And the obituary came out, but it was his obituary by mistake, and it talked about how many people had died from dynamite and how many. How many? How much destruction had been from dynamite? And he read his obituary and said, "Oh my goodness, I can't be known for this. This isn't what this is what people are going to remember about me." And he established a Nobel Peace Prize. 
Now, they probably still mention dynamite in, the, in his obituary, but I'm sure that's much more prominent than the Nobel Peace Prize. So he got he got the unique opportunity to get a glimpse of what he's going to be remembered for. You think about what you'll be remembered for. You got Parkinson's. That doesn't it doesn't end your life. You, you ain't dead yet. Figure out what you want to be known for and go for it. That's your new mission in life. Do do what you can to give back, community service, whatever. And if, even if it just affects two or three people, that's that's a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing. John Bowman, author of Decide Success, You Ain't Dead Yet. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Parkinson's Recovery radio show today. Thank you for having me. You do a great job, and I want you, I hope you continue with what you're doing. I will indeed. And I want everybody to know that I've been doing this now for about five years, and there wow. are... Uh, blog, the Parkinson's Recovery blog has a ton of information out there that's available that really addresses all sorts of issues and answers many, many, many questions that people have. There's also, of course, the uh, archives of the radio shows that I've been doing since uh, 2009. And I basically had a number of requests from individuals to somehow categorize and write up what I've discovered. And so that was the inspiration for my book, Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. Uh, what's included in the book is actually uh, freely and publicly available through all the radio shows and all of the uh, blogging that I've actually done. Uh, but it's organized uh, and uh, you can actually get access to a lot of the information that you need in order to be able to know what's making a huge difference to individuals that's giving them the ability to get sustained relief from their own systems. So the book covers causes of Parkinson's that we've determined are important and also all the treatments uh, that we've discovered are making a big difference to individuals. Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, then it's the second edition. I've just finished that and you can get that from Amazon or you can get more information by visiting www.parkinsonsdisease.me. Our uh, guest in two weeks on the radio show is going to be David Zitt, who's author, who's the author of the DVD "Delay the Disease." He's a physical therapist and has worked extensively with Parkinson's with his partner Jackie Russell. So they know a great deal about what can make a huge difference. So be sure to join us for that show in just two weeks from today. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact that you're listening to this show, that you are on the road to recovery. May you have a magnificent week. Good day. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.